People say God wrote the Bible, but did he? What does God's view of time have to do with whether he wrote the Bible or not? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran, and welcome to Bible 805, where you learn to know, trust, and apply the Bible. Today we're going to answer these questions, which are foundational to any study of the Bible, and discover some very fascinating things about God and time that prove the answer. So let's get started. Our topic today is the Bible, Human Story or Divine Revelation, Answers and Implications, Part 1. On the one hand, this question is incredibly important theologically, but the answer to the question of whether the Bible is human or divine in origin is also usually decided before anyone teaches or talks about the Bible in any way. It's a foundational presupposition, a belief we bring to any study of the Bible. Presuppositions are what we might call the hidden agenda. Many people don't present them up front, sometimes because they themselves don't even realize that they have them. But our presuppositions, consciously or unconsciously, color how we teach and how we apply whatever we're studying, which is the point of doing our study. We aren't just doing this to get smarter about the Bible. Application is very important, so let's take a look at the presuppositions that influence that. For example, if my presupposition is that what I share about the Bible is merely a fairy tale, a legend, a good moral story, it really doesn't matter how you respond. But if my presentation is that what I share is based on messages from a living God, one who we will all someday face and give an account to, that's another situation entirely. And your presupposition, whether it's a human story or written by God, will determine how you apply what I talk about. Because these two basic presuppositions about the Bible are so important, let's look at them a little more closely, at the implications of them, and why I believe one of them is true. Which will lead us to some very interesting things about God and time, which we'll get to in just a few minutes. So bear with me. This is really important stuff. To review, the two foundational presuppositional positions in how people study and teach the Bible are, number one, that the Bible is a human created book. Therefore, individual human judgment is the final authority in determining the truth of Scripture and its application in human life. And two, the Bible is a God-created book. God is the final authority of determining the truth of Scripture and its application in human life. So let's look at these a little more closely. The idea that the Bible is a human-created book. Now, please know that all I talk about this topic for the next few minutes, I do not believe. I'm just sharing with you this viewpoint. The view that the Bible is a human-created book has been the primary world-held presupposition since the late 18th century. More specifically, the Jesus Seminar and many liberal theologians hold to it today. It's also the view, and you probably, many of you probably haven't run across the Jesus Seminar or many liberal theologians, but where you have run across it, is it is also the view of many so-called scholarly programs about the Bible on television. Now, these programs might talk about the Bible in seemingly reverent tones, 
But the Bible to them is seen as a spiritual book not significantly different than many other spiritual books written by the followers of, for example, Krishna or Buddha or Joseph Smith or others. To this view, the Bible is viewed as a book that may contain the Word of God, but that it is not the Word of God. Here are some of the results from this presupposition. Little in the Bible is taken as literal fact or literal history. This view allegorizes and makes into fables and myths the teachings of the Bible. The story of Adam and Eve or Noah are viewed as little different than the story of Gilgamesh or any other mythology. This view sees books like Genesis and Job as folk tales, illustrating cultural or ethnic concepts about God not as literally true. One view, for example, is that Job was not a real person, but an allegory representing the sufferings of the Jewish people following the Babylonian captivity. Now, by the way, <laughs> I totally disagree with that assessment of Job, and in the lesson after the next one, I'm going to show you why historically I disagree with it, and why he was a real person, and the implications of it, and all sorts of important things about that, but but that's another lesson. Moving right along. This view allows proponents to pull passages, stories, and inspiring texts completely out of context and use them whenever and however they want. What matters is what feels right to the individual reading the story. If something speaks to you, you can use it however you want to use it. And because of this, some very false and misleading views result with the label of the Bible attached to them. You will often, not often, but you will periodically hear uh, someone in the news quote a Bible verse and say, well, you know, uh, even the Bible says blah, blah, blah. And then they'll quote something totally out of context, totally without any reference or anchor whatsoever to what it really meant. But uh, that's what happens when you look at the Bible as simply a human product. And that way, because it's just a human thing, you as a human can do whatever you want to with it. This view is also called an anti-supernatural bias. Now, it's really important to understand that this bias means that a priori, and what a priori means is it's not based on facts and it's prior to any evidence, that that view discounts any supernatural explanation for anything. Right up front, before you read the story, before you read the account, before you read anything, the person holding this has decided that the supernatural is impossible. And a key conclusion to this way of thinking, again, it is not based on facts or anything else, it's just a belief system, is that fulfilled prophecy doesn't exist that any appearance of a seemingly fulfilled prophecy was recorded after whatever was prophesied happened, not prior to it. Now, this is one area that's actually really easy to refute as we study the Bible because secular history, dating of artifacts, document evidence simply does not agree with an anti-supernatural bias. I'll give you one example of this in just a few minutes, but lots more will follow. Now, 
you may not agree with the cause of why something happened that was foretold and then it happened, but you cannot, if you're honest, discount the reality that certain statements were made hundreds if not thousands of years before they took place, that then when the event took place, it happened precisely as it was predicted it would happen. Again, and this is important to understand, just let me let me restate what I just said. Just because we know in history that this certain event was prophesied perhaps hundreds of years before something happened, we know that it was prophesied at a certain time. We know it happened exactly the same way later. Now, you don't have to, and people don't immediately jump to the idea, well, then God was in charge and we worship him because of that. That does not logically follow, but you can't disagree with the prophecy, the event. Now, there are other explanations, one of them being time travel. <laughs> now, um, you might be saying, what? Um, and time travel obviously is not really an option, but there have been numerous sci-fi movies and books on this very idea that the reason that certain prophecies happen is because someone went back in time. But uh, I, I don't want to uh, say that that is the reason. But you see that just knowing that something was predicted and it happened, we don't immediately believe in God. But it's pretty good evidence in that direction. Now let me make just a few more observations about the idea that the Bible is a humanly created book. Now an old but useful analogy on how to deal with this is learning to spot an anti-supernatural bias in biblical studies is like learning how to spot counterfeit money. You study the real thing. When you learn how true history supports what I'll be sharing about the Bible, you can spot the fanciful teachings that have no basis in reality. For example, when you know the dating of the New Testament and you know that the documents that are in our Bible were written very close to the events that were recorded, that they were written by the named authors, that we have over 5,000 manuscripts that agree with one another, dated to a few decades after the actual events. When you see something on television or read about the Gospel of Thomas or the so-called Gospel of Mary or a book that was very famous for a period of time, the Da Vinci Code. If you know true reality of the books of the Bible, you will immediately recognize how different these are and see why it's obvious, it becomes obvious then why they were not included in the Bible. Now for a further discussion of how this specific topic works out, please see the lessons on how we got our Bible. Currently I'm redoing some of them, but there are older ones on the Bible 805 website and I actually show you in the lesson on the Gnostic Gospels the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Mary, and you can draw your own conclusions from that. Now on to the second view, that the Bible is of divine origin. In other words, that the Bible is the Word of God. Instead of the Bible being a human creation, and therefore humans decide what to believe or accept as true in the scriptures, and what not to, based on the presupposition that the supernatural cannot happen, is this contrasting view. Now the first part of this comes from the eco core value statement on biblical integrity. The Eco-Presbyterian Church is the denomination that I belong to, but I do believe that this statement would apply to 
most all Christian denominations. And it says, we believe the Bible is, not merely contains, the unique and authoritative word of God, which teaches all that is necessary for faith and life. The prominence of God's word over our lives shapes our priorities and the unrivaled authority of the Bible directs our actions to be in concert with Christ's very best for our lives. I would add that I believe God is the ultimate author of the Bible, that he spoke through human authors, and though they each expressed it in their own way, the content is ultimately God's. That's the presupposition from which I will be doing all my teaching and from which I will suggest applications. The next question you might be asking is, why do I believe that? And why should you believe it also? Because, in large measure, as they say, timing is everything. Now let's get to the really fascinating subject of God and time, and how this all ties in with how God is the author of the Bible. If there is no belief in the supernatural that affects our view of time and chance, things then happen the way and when they happen because, well, there's actually no because. (laughs) There's no planning ahead of time or forethought. All is just a matter of random chance. Chance is seen as a cause of creation, of humanity, of whatever happens to people. One result of this way of thinking is a very popular view today of Jesus. He's considered by most everybody as a good man, an inspiring preacher, who unfortunately by chance lived when Rome was in charge of the world, and they didn't really appreciate him. In that world, Jesus had no idea how radical his teachings were, or how threatening they were, and that he was going to be crucified by the Romans because of them. His death is seen as tragic, and one that took him by surprise as much as it did his followers. But if we do believe in the supernatural, by the way, that what I just stated is all completely false, but if we do believe in the supernatural, and that God is the ultimate writer of the Bible, it follows that Christians believe all the events in the life of Jesus were not the result of random chance, but prophesied long before his birth. His death was not an accident, but an event foretold from the earliest days of human life and throughout the Old Testament. There'll be more details on that in a minute, but how can we know which one of these views, chance or the planning by God, is true? Either all that happened to Jesus was totally by chance, or all that happened to Jesus was known and written about ahead of time, which is basically the definition of prophecy. And it's really not a hard question to answer. Here's how we can do it. One way would be to show that God is outside of time. Now that sounds really big and philosophical and all that, but but it really isn't. Um, If God is outside time and can see everything, past, present, and future, he can then correctly predict events that will happen in earthly history. In other words, give us prophecy about them. If those events happen in the order or when a particular prophecy says they should, that could be good evidence God was involved. We'll look at a specific example in a minute, but first I want to give you two illustrations that will help this idea make sense. And these are not really weird, bizarre, whatever. Um, It's going to be really easy. First of all, 
and this one, um, this is what really clicked for me. I, this is not original with me. I can't even remember who shared it with me a long time ago, but it made so much sense. Imagine a parade. You're watching it with a friend, but then your friend leaves you, and a few minutes later you get a text where your friend announces that she was able to get up into the announcer's booth. She happened to have a friend there or whatever, and she's way above the crowd and just having a great old time. You don't believe your friend, and you respond, prove it. Because your friend can see what's coming in the parade, and you can't, because she's up there, you're down on, on street level, she tells you what will happen in the future of the parade. A huge float with Star Trek characters will come by, and since nothing like this has been in the parade so far, you respond with, I'll believe it when I see it. In a few minutes, the float with Star Trek characters comes by, and you realize your friend really is up in the announcer's booth. A view from above the level of the parade allowed your friend to make a quote-unquote prophecy about what would happen. Now, imagine that the parade is the total history of our universe and humanity. And instead of an announcer's booth, God is outside of time seeing, knowing, the beginning from the end. And he wants us to believe that. We have a right to expect proof of that, just as we would from our friend at the parade. That's why he gives us prophecy, to clearly tell us what is going to happen. And then when it happens, we can look back and say, oh, perhaps God is who the Bible claims he is. Now let me give you another illustration. And for those of you listening to this on the podcast, please go to www.bible805.com because I have this really neat illustration printed out. But let me describe it to you, those that are watching the video. Obviously you can see it, but we have God's view of time, which is a big bar across the top of it. And it says God's view of time, simultaneously aware of, and knows all that is past, present, and future. And then down from that, we have lines that go to a line at the bottom, which we can look at as the world's history, where we have creation, and then Old Testament history and New Testament, our present lives, remaining human history, Christ's return, and paradise regained. And then on that line down below, see, God is able to see all of that at one time and on that line I have a little stick figure. The stick figure represents a human view of time. It's you or me and we only know that one point in time. We can imagine a past, we can imagine a future, but we don't know it. We don't see it. We're just right down there on the street level. God is above, around. He sees everything and because of that can give us prophecy that we won't literally sort of walk into if it concerns our life or that people did in the past. So please take a minute to go to the website and download this. I think you'll find it really, really helpful. But if not, I hope that the illustration of the parade was helpful to you. Now, how does this work out in the Bible? The Bible tells us what is coming hundreds, if not thousands of years before the events that happen. These events are recorded by God's prophets and the biblical writers, which is also why it is so important to date 
when the biblical documents were written. It's important to define what we call these historical anchors to the content in the Bible, which we will do as we go along in studying the different books. When the events happen, exactly as predicted, we should recognize that God is outside of time and he knew what would happen and had a hand in bringing it about. For example, some of the most numerous predictions in the Bible are the many prophecies about Jesus. Now, this is, this is really good because you don't have to be real exact to see how prophecy works in this. We may not know exactly when certain things were written in the Old Testament, but we know, and I think anyone with the barest knowledge about the Bible would agree that the Old Testament was written a long time before Jesus was born. From his family lineage to the place of his birth, his life work, all the details about his death and resurrection, it was all written about, prophesied from literally the beginning of humanity. Now just one example is about his birth in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. That's in Micah 5.2. This is only one of around 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. And for a really interesting article on prophecy along with its fulfillment, there is a great uh, piece on the JesusFilm.org website. Now, if you, I've got this link. If you, um, if you want to download the notes from the podcast, you can go right to it. But even if you don't want to bother to do that, just do a Google search on prophecies about Jesus. Just put that in there. And you'll find lots of them, just bunches of articles and stuff, along with the passages of how they were fulfilled. This is no no graduate level uh, research skills are needed to do this because it's it's a very plain and clear teaching in the Bible. Now, Jesus isn't the only topic of prophecies given and fulfilled in the Old Testament. And there are many short-term prophecies of what God said would happen to his people if they did or did not obey him that were fulfilled in detail in secular history. God says a nation will conquer Israel if they don't obey. They don't do it. That nation conquers them. We're going to be going over this again as we go through the Old Testament. And there are some really fascinating things. Probably, and just for me, one of the most fascinating is where the prophet Isaiah named Cyrus, King Cyrus, by name, who would allow the Jews to return from captivity around 120 years before Cyrus was born and before the Jews even went into captivity. By the way, if you want to read some really interesting mental gymnastics about the whole super anti-supernatural viewpoint, read some on this topic. They are great um, examples of arguing from an anti-supernatural basis, um, regardless of historical facts. One of them, and I'm going to, this person actually sort of comes around to believing it, but sort of not in any way, but uh, this particular passage, and I've got the citation again on the website, this presents the anti-supernatural view quite well. And what he says is, quote, no modern historian can accept such a thing, talking about Cyrus and it being prophesied 120 years before. That breaks all the rules of history. Isaiah wrote something in 675 BC about someone who was born 120 years later and 500 miles away. No, 
Can it be? It can't be, can it? What are the chances? That is why most modern scholars obviously know that Isaiah's gospel was supplemented at a later time by unknown prophets. After all, if he named Cyrus, he can't have prophesied before Cyrus. Now can he? Well, some of us would answer, yes he can, <laughs> if the source of Isaiah's prophecies is the God who exists out of time and who spoke through Isaiah. Actually, it's much easier mentally and honest academically to do that. Again, you don't have to believe personally in God or whatever, but just to say this happened. And I'm going to share the really critical dating issues and proofs on why we believe that, well, why we know that Isaiah did indeed write these things 120 years before Cyrus was even born. It's fascinating, and I trust that you will enjoy that when we get to that study. It is exciting stuff, and there's lots more of it. But of course, we won't see these things if we don't read our Bibles in chronological historical order. And if you don't anchor Bible events in true history and true geography. This is one of the things that makes the Old Testament so fascinating to study and to share because you can read a prophetic passage and then read when it was fulfilled, which we will do as we go through the Bible with the Bible 805 podcasts and lessons. But the fulfillment of prophecy by a God outside of time isn't the only thing that convinces us that God is the author of the Bible. There are two more considerations that show God is the author of the Bible. Number one, the importance of true history, which is essential because if we don't have true history, we can't check out the prophecy. If we don't really know when certain things happened, how can we check out if when they were said and you know whatever what is it in the manuscripts themselves that lets us know that it is true prophecy and the second thing is progressive revelation this is really kind of a big deal but there's often a lot of confusion about it and then we clarify after we talk about these things after we learn about these things the importance of true history and progressive revelation then there are a couple of other related presuppositions that are important with this whole topic that I want to talk about. One is God's control, his sovereignty, and human responsibility. The big question here is if God's in control of all this, am I just some, you know, mechanism, some cog in the wheels? Is is does it matter what all I even try to do? Do you know, is free will even possible? I want to talk about that. And then also the importance of a linear view of time and history. But I'm not going to talk about it anymore in this lesson. I have talked long enough, but um, in just a little bit, I will record and have available for you the next lesson where I will talk about these in part two of the Bible, human story or divine revelation. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson, related resources, and helpful links at www.bible805.com. And if the podcasts have been useful to you, please consider supporting it through your donations and prayers. For a link to donate a small amount consistently, it's at the end of the description of the podcast on iTunes. There's a link right there that you can do that, and on any of the other podcast sources that you might listen to. It's just right, there's a little link by the description. And thank you so much in advance for your support and prayers. In closing, I'm Yvonne Prynne. 
your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to end with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.